0: What is SCC? What does it mean to be part of Southport Church of Christ? So our vision here at Southport is about following Jesus, transforming lives. This is the mission Jesus calls us to, that we're not just a church of six pastors, but we're a church of over 600 ministers. Morning, church. How are we all? Good, good. That is good. Um, so we are this morning continuing on our journey uh, through the book of First Corinthians, uh, and this is the second last sermon in the series. We've got one more uh, next week, and it has been quite the journey, hasn't it, guys? Uh, it's been jam-packed with interesting topics, uh, it's had some kind of weighty theology that we've dealt with, and, and it's not the type of uh, stuff you would usually address unless you're preaching through a book uh, the way that we have. So it's been really interesting. Uh, and this morning, uh, we have arrived at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, from do- verse 12 all the way to 58. And this portion of Scripture is huge, it's 46 uh, verses, so we won't have time to walk through and unpack uh, every verse, but there are some really key themes here that Paul addresses in this part of the text that is really important for us, uh, because everything said so far in Corinthians, in our series, really hinges on what we're discussing today. It is a foundation upon which all the other things that we have talked about is built. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the resurrection, And Paul himself, he simplifies down the importance of the resurrection uh, in verse 14 and says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Thank you, Paul. Lovely. Just lovely. So, Paul's being real with us here, he's being direct with us. But this is true. Without this foundational truth, all the rest of it is useless. Our preaching is in vain. This whole series is in vain. Pip didn't need to do that awkward sermon on incest on Mother's Day from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Bryce didn't need to talk about the gift of singleness and strike fear and terror into the hearts of our young adults. We didn't need to go through things like women in ministry and gifts of the Spirit, lawsuits, idols, marriage, divorce, all that tricky stuff as we've tried to faithfully unpack uh, this book of the Bible. You see, our very hopes as people of God, as Christians, are pinned upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it is critical that we as a church, we as a people of God, are all in on that. And so it all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. And so let's pray together uh, as we dive into this. Lord, we thank you that your word uh, is powerful and effective. You uh, can speak to our hearts. You can change our lives. And so we just ask you, we invite you, uh, speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, Transform us more into your image as we behold you and as you speak to us. Uh, And we just ask you to do this awesome work in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's kick off this morning by reading together the first part of our passage today. Starting in uh, verse 12 of chapter 15, it says this. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we have then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. He continues on to say, "But But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost." If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's really starting on a low, isn't he? He's really making this hard for me. So here Paul is addressing an issue uh, that is kind of uh, circulating within the church in Corinth at the time. There are some that are trying to argue that there is no resurrection after death. And Paul, to basically kind of kill off this whole line of argumentation, lets it kind of play out hypothetically. He says, you know what, if there's no resurrection then, it would mean this. And I'm a really big fan of Paul. I love the way he tackles issues uh, because sometimes I think this is a really great way to talk about the merits of a view. You, You try to argue the merits of your own view, but sometimes it's great to think about the opposing view. For example, sometimes I like to sit in a bit of an atheistic worldview and play it out in my mind. I find that really helpful for me. What would it actually mean to believe that there is no creator, that there is nothing beyond the physical, natural world? Consequently, there would be no purpose. There is no ultimate purpose. Really, love is nothing more than a a chemical reaction, a bit of dopamine, a bit of oxytocin and some other hormones. That's all it can ever be. All our efforts at these kind of progressive human rights are nothing more than one idea elevated over another with none of them having any absolute moral value. And all our best attempts at environmental activism and stopping climate change are all erased by the fact that one day our exploding sun will just fry this planet it to a crisp. I love... I've got a, a round of applause for that. I love to just play it out in my mind, to sit in that opposing worldview, because the merit of every view can be seen when we really think it through to its necessary conclusions. And that is exactly what Paul is doing here. He says, if there is no resurrection, it's all for naught, Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And this phrase they use is fallen asleep is a term that the early first century Christians used to use because it alluded to the lack of finality that death had for them. That because of their hope in the resurrection, death was not the end. But Paul says if not for the resurrection, you know, they're just dead and gone. He then finishes this line of argumentation with this really confronting statement where he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's really making it difficult. Now, this does not fit easily with our 21st century uh, minds uh, because we don't experience that same level of persecution that those first century Christians did, nor do we experience the same persecution that some of our brothers and sisters around the world do. Um, so this doesn't sound as true for us sometimes, um, And this is not to say that there are not benefits and blessings to a life in Christ and for Christ. We know that there are. We know what it is like to live under the love and the peace and the joy and the forgiveness that come with a relationship with Jesus. But what Paul is doing here is he's extrapolating what it would mean if Christ did not rise. It would mean that these disciples, these followers of Jesus, gave up jobs and homes and comforts and suffered beatings and imprisonments and eventual death for a lie. And to Paul, that is absolute foolishness, and he's emphasizing that here. If the dead do not rise, what is the point of any of it? It is the logical outworking of that view. I mean, you could be the most intelligent, nice, friendly, good-looking, wealthy, amazing person that ever lived on the face of this earth, and yet death, if final, will erase it all. There was no point in any of it. That great enemy death erases value in anything. Once you're gone, if there's nothing, then it never mattered. Alternatively, on the opposite end of that, you could be the worst. You could be the worst, most evil. You could be homeless, poor, wretched, sick, all of your life. And then when you die, you're no worse off than the first guy. Death erases it all. Paul later reconfirms the hopelessness of this view by saying in verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Sorry, this feels like it's a really bad salmon. <laughs> Thank you, Paul, for this. Now, I'm really sorry, I've been trying to find space in this first half of the sermon to throw in a really witty joke just to kind of lighten the mood, but I haven't really found space for that at all. This is a deep way to start our Sunday morning sermon. But Paul starts this in the negative, so you guys can blame Paul at the resurrection. (laughs) Found it. No, anyway, sorry, that was terrible. That was really terrible. And so this morning, as we read through this text, we have to ask ourselves how does this apply to us? If not for the resurrection, where is your hope? Where is your hope in life after death? Where is your hope that the wages of your sin has been paid? Where is your evidence that Jesus' claims of oneness with the Father are genuine? This morning, it is helpful for us to think about the alternatives that we can have the assurance that we need to be all in on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, we do not follow a set of beliefs that are just convenient for us. We do not do it to be good moral people. We don't attend church because it's a nice club for us. We don't do it because our parents did. We do not claim Christ because we just kind of picked it out of a list of possible religious beliefs that we could have held to. We are Christians because Christ is raised. It is the foundation of our very belief and it is the power of the gospel mighty power that undoes the power of sin and death. We need to know that. We need to grasp that. We need to be aware of it and dwell in it. Like Paul said in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Is that the cry of our hearts this morning? And this is where Paul then goes next with this passage. He finishes dealing with the alternative view by declaring to the Corinthian church, but Christ Has indeed been raised from the dead. And that is a claim that he staked his very life on. And this is where we celebrate this morning. I would be a hopeless, nihilistic atheist. But instead, I am a hope-filled, purpose-driven, changed love and forgiven follower of Jesus Christ because he has been raised. And as a church, we need to be all in on that, unashamedly, just all in. After this, Paul, he proceeds through this text and he starts talking about how death came into the world through Adam, how we are deserving of that death, and yet God, through Jesus, has brought resurrection power to undo death and establish his kingdom, making even his enemies a footstool for his feet. Guys, this is such exciting news. This is the full picture of the good news, that we are forgiven at the cross like Steve shared, but we are also given new life in him because he is raised. And Paul starts to unpack for us what that might look like. From verse 35, he compares it to a seed being sown. He says, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And this is such a wonderful part of Scripture for us. Here Paul is trying to give us a picture of what this new resurrection life will look like. The life that he bought for us, that awaits us. Our perishable bodies will be raised imperishable. For those of us this morning who are here, who are getting older and we're feeling that in our bodies, we are feeling our body's age, this is where we put our hope. For those of us who have been battling sickness in our bodies for so long, this is where we can put our hope. For those of us who encounter tragedy in our lives, this is the hope that we have that lives beyond the tragedy that we experience. These bodies are like seeds, and guys, we know that deep down. When our bodies fail us, we feel that. We know that something isn't right. We long for our spiritual bodies, for our imperishable ones, and we are such a blessed people because we, as followers of Jesus, have hope like no other. Paul continues on in this passage, uh, hinting at the rapture and the instant change that will occur for some, but he finishes this chapter with this really wonderful encouragement. Um, From verse 53, he says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here, Paul finishes so strong. He encourages the church to stand firm. He says, let nothing move you. And we can let nothing move us because we have such a sure foundation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he circles back to almost completely close off that negative argument by saying our labor is not in vain. It isn't all erased by death. Instead, he has erased the very sting of death, and so we can stand firm in that truth. It's exciting. It is good news. And so, in light of this, in in light of this truth, we need to ask ourselves the question are we all in on the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or are we a bit 80 20? Let's be real. Are we a bit maybe maybe with it? Are we fence sitting? Are we maybe hedging our bets a little bit just in case? Because one thing that I'm very grateful for is that God laid this solid foundation, this solid groundwork around the circumstances of the resurrection that give us a sure hope. When I think about the resurrection, sometimes I like to ask myself, um, what would you expect to see if if Jesus wasn't risen from the dead? And what would you expect to see if he was raised from the dead? Once again, like Paul, I like to think about the illogicality of the opposite. It's actually, uh, in logic, it's called um, reductio ad absurdum. It's this kind of way of looking at the logic the, or the illogicality of the opposing view. And I find it a really uh, powerful tool to use. If Jesus didn't rise, I would expect the disciples just to continue on being really cowardly, confused and defeated like they were before. If Jesus didn't rise, I would expect that the movement that he started off would die off with him. I would expect his followers would not be willing to fabricate a lie about it and then be willing to suffer and die for that lie, knowing that they would fall under the judgment of God for bearing a false witness about him. Paul even mentions this in verse 15 of this chapter when he says, if Christ isn't raised, then we have been false witnesses about God. They would be liars, they would be apostates, they would have broken one of the Ten Commandments, and they would be very well aware of Proverbs 19.5 that says a false witness will not go unpunished and whoever pours out lies will not go free. If Christ didn't rise, I would would not definitely expect someone like Paul who is persecuting the church, killing Christians, to all of a sudden have a vision of this resurrected Jesus and then change his life and be willing to then die for this Jesus that he saw. I would expect the movement to die alongside a dead guy. Now, I'm not saying that everything that succeeds, succeeds because it's true. That doesn't necessarily follow. But there are circumstances surrounding uh, the resurrection that makes it really difficult for us to explain without Jesus coming to life, being at the very center of it. It's very difficult to explain in any other way. And so in the positive, what would we expect if Jesus was raised? We would expect his followers to declare it. We would expect them to be passionate about it, to be empowered by it, to be willing to put their very lives on the line for the truth that they experience. We would expect that resurrection power that raised him to be able to transform lives. We would expect that to transform even the hardest of hearts. Someone like Paul We would expect that his resurrection would start a kingdom movement that would turn the world upside down. We would expect his followers to follow him, to be like him, and to carry on his mission of taking his death and resurrection life to the very ends of the earth. And we would expect that 2,000 years later, those who put their trust in this man who was resurrected could experience that new life as well. And I experienced that new life. When I was alone in my room, on my knees, When I had wrecked the life that he had given me, I called out to him and he changed my heart. He changed my life. He turned it upside down. And a dead guy doesn't do that. But a savior who was raised from the dead, that is what he does. That is what you would expect from a risen Jesus. And so I would encourage you all this morning to bolster your faith by looking at the resurrection. We need to be convinced of it. We need to have a deep belief of it in our hearts. It is so important. Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's this absolute essential requirement of this deep belief in our hearts that he has been raised from the dead. Guys, there are some really great apologetic resources out there for you if you are not convinced of this, that look at the circumstances surrounding the resurrection and how Jesus was uh, being raised was really the best explanation. Um, There are some really great books like The Case for Easter um, and then Did the Resurrection Happen that just deal fully and comprehensively with this. Um, and then there's some just great apologetics, like Reasonable Faith uh, by William Lane Craig and The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. that just have chapters, succinct chapters that actually deal with this. And so I would encourage you guys to read some of this. If you struggle to believe in, in the resurrection, look at these, meditate on them, and do what Paul does and try to dwell on the clear difficulties that arise from the alternative, And so this morning, as we slow down to a close, what are we going to do with this? That is a question that we need to circle back to after every message. We don't necessarily need more information. What we need is a deeper connection with Jesus, and we need transformed lives. You see, as we put our faith more deeply in Christ's resurrection, we will often live that out more in light of our own resurrection one day. I pictured it a bit like this earlier on in the week as I was thinking about this. Imagine you stand on one side of a large ravine and there is a rope hanging from above that can take you to the other side. You've been around your side of the cliff long enough to know that it is dying off, that it is burning, that it will not last forever, and you see glimpses of life on the other side. If you do not have faith that the rope will hold you, you will not be willing to swing on it. And if you don't swing on it, if you're not willing to, you will not be planning your life on the other side, you'll just start making do with what you've got on your own side, whether it's burning or dying or not. It may be a scary thing to put full faith in, to leave your life behind and to trust in this way. But if someone tells you that rope is steady, it is strong, it is sure, if you are convinced that it will hold you because it has held others and taken them to life, if you believe, then you will be able to push off by faith and put all your weight upon it. This morning I want to ask you, will you put all your weight on the resurrection of Jesus? Because as you do that, your life will be drawn deeper into a more eternal perspective, a kingdom perspective. You will want to swing into the life that God has for you ahead rather than foraging in the dying bushes of the life that you had before. Colossians 3, 1-4 says, when we trusted him, when we swang on that rope, we died to self. Our old man fell into the chasm and the new man passed over by grace through faith into new resurrection life. That is where we are heading. And as we do that, we set our eyes on things above. If we are raised, we are living towards eternity. And our hearts will stop grumbling about the small things. They can be brought into perspective. Perspective. The padding of the chairs, the frustrating line at the post office, the volume of the music, all the things that could frustrate us, those small things that we can let them go in light of eternity, the offense that we take on when we get offended and frustrated by people, we can let that go because our life in eternity is so much greater. We're not clinging to the, to the little morsel of a life we have here, there is something more. It changes the way we live, it changes the way we see things, it changes the way that we invest our lives. If we are all in on the resurrection, our lives will be invested differently. Sorry, I'm just awkwardly reaching for some coins. It's not smooth at all. I want you guys to take a moment before we finish this morning to think about your day and your week in terms of hours that are dollars. So you've got $24 a day, $168 per week. Where are you spending those dollars? How many of those dollars would be invested in this life and how much would be invested into eternity? How many dollars would you be kind of putting in Facebook reels? In kind of just giving a bit of minimum effort at work, trying to just get by... Netflix, multiple for Netflix, (laughs) griping, complaining. How much of our daily 24 hours that we have are we investing in this life and how many of those dollars are we investing in eternity? It's a really great question for us to ask ourselves. Because this life is like a single grain of sand compared to the endless beach of eternity. How many of them will we invest in His kingdom? Jesus said in Matthew six twenty, "Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal." Second Corinthians five ten says, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad." You see, the full confidence that we have in the resurrection should draw us to prioritize this, to prioritize eternity, the life that is to come. And please don't think that this has to be formal ministry, it really doesn't. It's the way that you love your peers. It's the way that you work throughout the week as unto the Lord to bless him to be a good witness. It's the way that you raise and disciple your children with love. It's the way that you share Jesus. It's the way that you pray, the way that you spend time with him. Those things invest into the eternal life that waits for us. Because of the resurrection... We know that our talents are not lost when we use them in service for the Lord. It all takes faith. It takes faith for us to invest in this. You all know it, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a foundation that gives us the faith that we need to invest into eternity where it counts. This is the confidence that we have. We can sacrifice in this short vapor of a life only because we look to the everlasting resurrection of Jesus that he bought for us at Calvary. And that is exciting. You know what? Just this week, we saw a a bunch of uh, guys and girls from our church give up their week uh, to kind of serve the Lord by serving these young people in service. I mean, just Kiani, young Kiani, as one example I think is awesome. Uh, She came off the back of a final exam straight into an exhausting week of serving uh, teenagers in service paradise, none of which probably thanked her, some of which probably vomited on her. And she'll now go straight into, either tomorrow or in the next couple of days, into her university prac with no rest. I mean, that's not practical. That's not easy. That's not convenient. But when you know that this life is just a vapor and that we have a resurrection life waiting for us and waiting for the lost out there, then you can change those priorities. They are just behind that. I might just invite the worship team back up for our final song. As we close this morning, let's really allow our minds to dwell on the incredible miracle of the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection that brings us to life alongside our amazing Savior, our Savior who said in John 14, 19, because I live, you also will live. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we have a hope, Lord. It is a sure hope. It is a sure foundation. You have promised us life, everlasting, God. And so I pray for all of us here that as as your word has been shared, that you would would encourage us, Lord God, to adjust our lives, to adjust our heart attitudes towards you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your power. We thank you that we can experience your life and that you give us all that we need to have full confidence in you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys.